Our reading today is taken from Psalm 27, verses 4 to 6. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Well, I've just enjoyed a very good lunch in the uh, courtyard, and Mark introduced me as the speaker, and the person serving me said, oh, what are you speaking about? So I said, fear. Uh, he thought I said beer. <laughs> But it isn't there, sorry, it is fear. And we think about how Psalm 27 addresses fear. How does it speak to the fears that we may or will have? Um, Of course, there are many other strategies of dealing with fear, and uh, sometimes fear is so extreme that it might need counselling or medical help. But there is a specifically biblical and believing way to address our fears, and that's what we're looking at Um, from Psalm 27. And I I assume if you're here that you have a belief in God. Um, Maybe you feel you're unsure in that belief. And if that's you, obviously it's great you're here. And I hope that as we look at this believing way of dealing with fear, that will help you, entice you uh, to trust um, in this God of the Bible. Also, I'm conscious that we, at the moment, may not be facing anything that we find particularly scary. Um, And in that case, I hope and pray that the psalm will prepare us for a time that may come, uh, probably will come, when there'll be something, whether it's professional failure, whether it's illness, whether it's uh, the fear of death, but it will prepare us for that time um, when it comes. Uh, David, the situation David was facing, which made him afraid, was, it says at the end of the psalm, quote, it was false witnesses spouting malicious accusations. False witnesses spouting malicious accusations. And he was uh, scared of that, just, not just because of damage to his reputation, but because actually that was putting his life at risk. Uh, it was causing people to be suspicious of him, and he was scared. And we saw that last week that David didn't in the first instance speak to God about his problems. Um, Instead he spoke to himself about his God. And what that meant was that he was able to speak to his fears with contempt. I think my prayers would have started, Lord, get me a great defence lawyer. Or, Lord, couldn't I just go back to being a shepherd? Life was so peaceful. Couldn't those people who accused me just go away? But what David began with, as Claire's just prayed, he began with, um, the Lord is my light and my salvation and my stronghold. As we come today to look at verses 4 to 6, we'll see that David still doesn't talk about the situation he's scared of. He still doesn't come to that. We'll come to that next week. But what he does is articulate the one thing he wants. What's that got to do with his fears? Well, I hope we'll see towards the end of the talk. What was it that David wanted? Well, verse 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. 
So what he wanted to do is to dwell in the house of the Lord. Now, when he says, the one thing I ask, I don't think we should take that over literally. He will pray at the end of the psalm, teach me your path, deliver me from my enemies. Yes, there were other things he wanted, but I think it's a, it's a way of saying, look, number one on my wish list is to dwell in the house of the Lord. And what's so special about the house of the Lord? Well, of course, it was the place in the Old Covenant before Christ uh, where God symbolically dwelt. It was the place where he was, as it were, at home. And you would go to a special tent or building and meet with him there. So what he wants is the presence of God. And again and again in the Psalms, he says, that's the gracious thing that I want. The famous Psalm 23, the list of the um, benefits of God to him, it, it comes to a climax with, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, why does he want to be in the presence of God? I love this next phrase, and it comes as quite a surprise, at least it did to me. He says, I want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. I want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. I wonder if you've thought about God like that. We tend to think of him as holy, that's true, righteous, awesome, loving, but beautiful. Psalm 29 verse 2 says, Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. And from that we get that famous hymn, O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. So David is convinced there's something beautiful about God. What's the evidence of that? Well, I think part of the evidence is the creation. Um, isn't it amazing how beautiful the creation is? From the tiniest little thing, I remember seeing a program about the discovery of the DNA molecule, and Crick and Watson were making a sort of model, and they were you know, trying to work out what the DNA molecule looked like, and eventually they get it, and one of them says to the other, the next morning, he said, I always knew it would be beautiful. It was a beautiful shape. So the tiniest thing is beautiful. And then you think of the planet as a whole. Think of the first manned mission to space, 1968, Apollo 8. And the, you remember what the astronauts did? They got up there, they were in space, they read out, um, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And they said the earth looks so beautiful. It was like a Christmas tree ornament or an exquisite marble hanging in the blackness of space. And it's evidence that the Creator is beautiful. Why would you want to see that beauty? Well, I think that what the Bible would say is actually our souls cry out for that beauty. No other beauty is ultimately satisfying. Not art, design, not even landscape and nature. There is something in us that cries out to view that beauty of God. And of course one way we can do that is, I think, by coming to a service like this or on Sunday. Not that now, of course, God is present in a building in, in, in any more than he's present in your office or your workshop or the chambers of the House of Commons or House of Lords, but his people are here. We sing, we pray, we open his word, and it's a way of 
just coming to see something of his beauty, and, and perhaps we can pray as we come here. Lord, show me something of your beauty today as I come here. So that's David's number one desire. And what's that to do with the thing that he's afraid of? These malicious accusations? Well, what David seems to believe is that if he's in the presence of God, God will keep him safe. So that's what he says in verse 5. In the day of trouble, God will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. And he looks ahead to the future, verse 6. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Well, in those days, if you were rescued, you would go back to the temple. You'd offer sacrifice of thanksgiving. And David saying, I'm so certain that that's what's going to happen to me. I'm putting a date in my diary, so to speak, now, to say I'm coming back to offer that sacrifice. And he wasn't just saying, well, literally, you know, if I kind of get into the temple, like those Christians with refugees in the Netherlands, I don't know if you heard about that, there's apparently a Dutch law that if you're in church in a service, you can't be arrested. So they had a kind of 24-hour service. He's not just saying that in the physical building. He's saying, if I'm in the presence of God, I can leave my safety to God. If I put that first, I can leave it to him. Now, I, I wonder how far you can echo what David writes. I wonder if you feel the same. Dawn Foster, writing in The Guardian this week, said of her childhood, religion was a slight background hum that only grew louder for births, weddings and deaths. Religion was a slight background hum. Got a bit louder at a baptism, a wedding, a funeral but then it went back to a background hum. I wonder, maybe religion is like that for you. It's just a background hum. You, you don't quite relate to what David's saying here. Speaking personally, I would say, well, yes, sometimes I want what he wants. Sometimes I feel, yes, the thing I really want most of all is to be in the presence of God and gaze on his beauty. But if I'm honest, a lot of the time I don't. There are other things I want, um, or I don't find them beautiful. I'm reading through the Bible. I read, just at the moment, doing a sort of scheme of reading through the whole Bible in a year. I come to Numbers, and there's this chapter about sacrifice and heifers, or Isaiah, and it's about the Assyrian and the Babylonian Empire. My heart sinks, frankly. I think, well, I, can I get on to the nice bits? And then there are, other, of course, lots of other good things competing for this attention. You know, I'm longing for my summer holiday in the Lake District and hoping for good weather and good relationships. I want to be a successful church leader, admired by my colleagues, maybe even honoured by the bishop. And all too often, seeking the presence of God gets pushed off the number one slot. So what I need is not just an example to follow. I need a saviour to join myself to. A saviour whose number one desire was to dwell in the Father's presence. And of course, that's what I find in Jesus Christ. From when he was 12. You remember how he was taken to Jerusalem? Got separated from his parents. They're frantic with worry. Finally, they find him in the temple. The place David longed to be. And he said to mum and dad, 
Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? That's why he got up early in the morning when it was still dark to go and pray and speak to his father and know his presence. Unlike David, however, a time came when though he wanted to dwell in the presence of the Lord, he found himself banished from the presence of God. And of course I'm speaking about what happened on the cross on a hill called Calvary when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He found himself in a place where he saw not the beauty of the Lord, but the ugliness of evil. A place where he was treated as one who'd violated the will of God rather than sought the will of God. The place where he was not safe in God's dwelling, but he was exposed to the dark evil of hell. The place where he was not set high upon a rock, but he was laid out dead in a rock tomb. But though he descended to hell, his father did exalt his head above his enemies. He rose from the dead, and he was exalted to the right hand of his father. And no doubt he ran to the arms of his father with shouts and songs of joy. And what God calls on us is to trust in what Christ did for us. Uh, you know that again and again in the New Testament, those who believe in Christ, we're not called Christians. That comes only once in the New Testament. You know, again and again, what the term the Apostle Paul uses, he says you're in Christ. You're in Christ. The person who is joined to Christ, is, who believes in him, is joined to him and united to him. Where he goes, I go. His fate is my fate. And that is why the Apostle Paul can write, you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Does knowing this help us with our fears? Whether it's fear of relationship failure, a forceful aggressive antagonist, fear for our children or not having children, project we're struggling to complete, fear of Alzheimer's or cancer or death. Well, it won't magic away those fears. But if we rub this knowledge in, like, you know, in the old days, they'd rub salt into meat to preserve it. Rubbing this knowledge in, my life is hidden with Christ and God. It will make a difference. You can't take away the bitterness of tea or coffee, but you can add sugar. And what we can add to our fears is the knowledge that we can be with Christ and we are with one who longed for the presence of God, longed to gaze on his beauty, and our life is hidden with him and God. Let's pray we do that. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for the Saviour who did dwell moment by moment in your presence. And who, in astonishing love, was shut out of that presence for us. Pray for each of us here today that we may join ourselves to him by faith. And know that our lives are hidden with him in you. And please help us, Lord, whatever we're facing. Perhaps some of us are facing acute fears at the moment. Perhaps some of us not. But may we rub this knowledge into our heart. And may it help us with those things we're afraid of. In Jesus' name, Amen.